The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. We are uncovering a new science of consciousness, a theory that is getting closer to solving the problem of the self once and for all. Or at least, so claim leading neuroscientists. But should we see the new science of consciousness as a marketing hype? Or could science be actually about to crack the ancient problem of the self once and for all? Joining us to debate the mystery of consciousness are legendary theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli, groundbreaking metaphysical idealist Bernardo Kostrup, and godmother of neurophilosophy Patricia Churchland. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit our website, ii.tv, for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. I'll now hand you over to our host for this debate, Robert Lawrence Kuhn. Welcome to the New Science of Consciousness. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn. I'm the creator and host of Closer to Truth, a long-running series on public television in the U.S., extensive website and YouTube channel, where we discuss cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. We're pleased to collaborate with the Institute of Arts and Ideas and How the Light Gets In Festival on this panel. So is science getting closer to explaining our inner awareness, our private experience? That's the claim of many neuroscientists. Others assert that quantum mechanics in some special sense generates consciousness, but critics argue that none of these solves or even can solve the so-called hard problem, how the material stuff of the brain generates the immaterial stuff of awareness and experience. We have an extraordinary panel, so I'm going to introduce them alphabetically. Patricia Churchland is the founder of Neurophilosophy, the idea that consciousness is a product of the biological brain and nothing more. She is the author of several books, including Conscience, The Origins of Moral Intuition, and Brain Trust, What Neuroscience Tells Us About Morality. Bernardo Castro is a computer scientist and innovative philosopher. He's a prominent defender of metaphysical idealism, the idea that bedrock reality is mental, not physical, that the physical is derived from the mental, not the other way around, and that consciousness is fundamental existence. Carlo Rovelli is a theoretical physicist who has made groundbreaking contributions to the physics of space and time. His books, 
seven brief lessons in physics, reality is not what it seems, and the order of time are international bestsellers, Carlo takes a fresh look at the problem of consciousness through his quantum eyes. All are friends, although not necessarily in the battle arena of consciousness. So we're going to begin with a three-minute synopsis of each position, and again, alphabetically, because Pat and Bernardo represent opposite boundaries, I won't say extremes, of the spectrum of explanations of consciousness. And then Carlo will offer orthogonally his new way of thinking. So three minutes, please. Keep it to that. Pat, welcome. Thanks so much. Well, uh, there are many ways in which we can begin to explore the nature of the brain and its relation to consciousness. We may look, for example, at deep sleep versus being awake and try to understand the nature of the differences or being in coma and being uh, normally awake. What I'm going to talk about today are a number of experiments that I think are really important coming out of neuroscience that describe in great detail what happens when we go under an anesthetic such as propofol. The second set of experiments that I want to talk about has to do with dissociation by which I mean the sort of fragmentation of experience. So normally if I have a very, I put my hand on something that's very hot, I both detect the stimulus, I reflexively pull my hand away, and I have a negative affect, namely that this is awful. And in addition to which, many philosophers have pointed this out, and I guess it's true, we kind of think of our experience as a unified whole. And I think of that experience of the hotness as being mine. Under certain circumstances, for example, under the drug ketamine or for epileptic patients in the, in the run-up to a seizure, the, this uh, sort of unified experience may fragment. They may detect the stimulus, and they may say that they know that it's a hot thing, but it's not really theirs. And there are now experiments into the very specific events that go on in the brain that are causally implicated in dissociative experiences. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Bernardo, the other side of the story. Um, I think the hard problem of consciousness is not a problem to be solved. I think it's an internal contradiction uh, of the physicalist way of thinking, because you know, the world we have, the world we inhabit, is a world of qualities, colors, flavors, uh, melodies. And traditionally, or historically, uh, uh, scientists began using quantities or numbers to describe that world. But at some point, we replaced the thing described with the description. We said matter is what really exists, and matter is exhaustively described with a list of numbers. <clears throat> and the qualities, they are somehow uh, 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 created or generated by the brain inside our skulls. So I think what is essentially happening under physicalism is that we are trying to pull the territory out of the map. And then we fail and we say it's a problem. Maybe in version two of the map, we'll be able to do that, or version 10. I don't think that will ever work because it's a contradiction. I think uh, uh, essentially uh, we all have to infer that there is something, there is a world beyond our personal experience, beyond our individual minds. 
That's obviously true. We seem to share the same world. We cannot escape that. But beyond the horizon, there is just more Earth. It's not something other than the Earth beyond the horizon. In other words, beyond personal experience, we have no reason not to think that it's just more experience of a transpersonal kind, experience that is objective from our point of view. So the world is not in our personal minds. It's not there. But it is mental in essence. And matter, I think, is how mentation presents itself uh, to perception uh, when a dissociative boundary is crossed. And what Patricia was saying about dissociation sounds like music to my ears. Indeed, we know a lot about dissociation these days. Uh, after an accident, you can remember your own memories, but think that they are not your memories. <laughs> they are somebody's, somebody else's memories. We know that people uh, undergoing severe dissociative identity disorder, uh, if one of their outer personalities is blind, those people will have no electrical activity or electrochemical activity in their visual cortex. So dissociation is capable of literally making you blind. And I think that's why we can't read each other's thoughts. And that's why I don't know what's going on in the galaxy of Andromeda, even though all of that is happening within a field of mentation of which I am a part, but I'm dissociate, dissociated from it. I think life is what dissociative, uh, dissociative process looks like on the screen of perception, a dissociative process at a universal level, of course. And matter is what mentation looks like when observed from across a dissociative boundary. I think this avoids all contradictions, uh, 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 avoids facing walls uh, that are impossible to go uh, through, like the hard problem of consciousness, avoids the combination problem of panpsychism. And although it does face the so-called decomposition problem, the answer to that problem is empirically given. It's the phenomenon of dissociation. Thank you, Bernardo. Uh, Carlo, you've heard the two extremes. Uh... Let me start by saying that I think that um, it seems increasing, increasingly clear to me that the problem of consciousness uh, is uh, um, badly exaggerated. I don't mean it's not interesting, it's, it's, it's very interesting, uh, but it's uh, badly exaggerated in my opinion uh, um, on the, uh, uh, for, for what concerns uh, its radicality with respect to all the other uh, problems uh, that we have discovered, we have, we have encountered in our knowledge of the world, like making sense of what is life or understanding what is the chemistry of uh, uh, outside the earth, all of which, uh, many of which, were considered absolutely impossible to uh, address uh, by the standard methods uh, of uh, uh, science. Uh, where I think the difficulty comes is that, uh, my opinion, is that um, by consciousness, uh, consciousness is a very slippery world. Uh, people mean a very different variety of things by consciousness, somehow related to the way uh, brains work. It's not even clear where we're talking about uh, uh, human brains, mammals' brain, animal brains, living uh, complex systems, uh, or what. So whether it's qualitative versus quantitative, mental versus uh, uh, physical, subjective versus uh, uh, objective, uh, or even moral versus whatever, rational, related to knowledge. Everybody has a different idea of what uh, um, consciousness is. But these are all different uh, phenomena, behavior, which I 
some of which we understand well, some which understand less well, but I'm not convinced by any of the arguments that um, make a sharp distinction between understanding these phenomena versus understanding other phenomena. Um, the reason, the source of the confusion seems to me uh, the fact that uh, uh, those who see consciousness as something uh, radical, the problem of consciousness, something radically different from other problems, uh, base their uh, analysis on uh, uh, introspection and uh, uh, some basic intuition. But science, it's exactly the process of advantage of knowledge that challenges uh, basic intuition and has repeatedly challenged introspection. And we all know from in our experience that introspection and intuitions are very often wrong uh, in, in, in our everyday life. Why is science challenge that? Because uh, science challenges uh, the conceptual structure that we use for understanding the world. Uh, in the different centuries or decades, even years, uh, we change the basic uh, grammar, conceptual grammar we use for thinking the world. And we adapt it to understand better the phenomena. And in uh, what I'm going to say in the next uh, uh, few minutes is that uh, uh, quantum mechanics doesn't have anything specific to say about consciousness. I don't think there's a quantum phenomenon in any sense. But in recent years, <coughs> uh, the shift between uh, um, uh, classical mechanics and quantum mechanics in, uh, in, uh, in physics uh, is an example of a deep change in the way we, uh, we think about the material world, which by, just by itself makes uh, uh, much more, uh, much less radical the apparent distinction between mental and physical. Thank you, Carlo. Let's begin our themes. We have three themes, much to cover, so please keep responses concise so we can have good interaction. So first, I want to explore the landscape of these wildly diverse explanations or thoughts about consciousness. Let's start with the opposite ends of the spectrum, as we talked about before. So, Pat, uh, as the quintessential materialist, can you or do you distinguish between materialism or physicalism, depending on our definition, and eliminative materialism? First of all, I don't like to buy into isms. I mean, I know philosophers feel that they have to have an ism and then it needs to sort of be with them for the rest of their lives. And I, I really don't care. I'm interested in data of whatever kind. So if a dualist has some data that are really convincing, I'm certainly open to, to uh, understanding it. At the moment, though, it does seem that we can learn quite a lot about ourselves and our nature by looking at the brain. And um, there are many science, uh, sciences that can contribute to that, including, of course, uh, experimental psychology and genetics and neuroscience. But if you can, for example, think about the difference between being under an anesthetic and being fully awake, you might want to understand what's the difference in the brain. And in a set of experiments that have been undertaken by Emory Brown, who is an anesthesiologist at MIT, we've learned quite a bit about those differences. And for example, one of the things we do know about uh, the anesthetic propofol is that it upregulates inhibitory neurons, that is, neurons that interact with others 
to downregulate the activity, the spiking of other neurons. And this suggests that perhaps there is, if you look brain-wide, which is what Emory Brown did at normal subjects, if you look brain-wide, you might see some large configurations that change in the activity of the brain when you're awake versus when you're under propofol. And that does indeed turn out to be the case. Um, that experiment was done, of course, with humans and having a whole lot of electrodes. Now, the difficulty with that is that you can't get into the really deep areas of the brain. So Earl Miller's lab decided to use non-human primates and to insert depth electrodes to see what the differences are. And again, they found that the effects were really quite brain-wide, but they found an interesting effect that was really not accessible in the other experiment, and that is this. Even when the animals were anesthetized with propofol, if they stimulated a very specific part of the thalamus, the central thalamus, the animals woke up. And this has been replicated in, uh, with other anesthesias. And again, the thalamus seems to be important. I'm not saying it's the seat of consciousness or anything like that. But we've learned quite a bit about the sort of difference in brain-wide activity when you're awake, lots of uh, gamma-level uh, oscillations and, and in the neighborhood of 30 to 50 hertz. But under anesthesia, everything goes down. The, the other thing we learned, and I think this is really quite cool, is that under propofol, there is a kind of lack of communication between areas. It's as though uh, little communities of interconnected neurons still talk to each other, but all of the long-range connections, long-range communications are shut down. And that seems to me to be interesting. I don't really care whether or not at the end of the day somebody wants to be a metaphysical idealist or not. I want to make progress where we can. Just see what happens. Bernardo, as the quintessential idealist, why does Pat not persuade you? Well, what she said, I agree with everything she said. I mean, it's data. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot uh, uh, dismiss that. Um, I think the brain is what our inner uh, mental activity looks like when observed from across its dissociative boundary. So, of course, brain activity will correlate with inner experience. It's what inner experience looks like. Uh, I also cannot uh, dismiss the fact that uh, if I'm undergoing brain surgery and a neurosurgeon is poking around my brain with a, a, an electric uh, rod, something to stimulate uh, my brain cells, that stuff will happen in my inner life, or that if I drink alcohol, my inner life is going to change, or if I'm punched in the face, something's going to happen. Of course, remember, an idealist is a monist. For an idealist, the surgeon's electric probe, the, 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 the glass of alcohol, or the fist that punches you in the face, these are all images of, parenthesis, transpersonal mental processes. It's what a transpersonal mental process looks like when it's interfering with your mental processes, your personal mental processes. So, and, and they have an effect on each other in the same way that thoughts influence emotions, emotions influence thoughts. So I'm not denying the, the, the neuroscience of consciousness. I'm not denying causation. 
uh, I'm just interpreting those things uh, in a framework that is more progressive to understanding because it doesn't immediately face uh, internal contradictions. Carlo, do you believe that neuroscience uh, in its current form is able eventually to uh, explain consciousness or are there ways of thinking uh, in, from quantum mechanics and the new way of thinking that will be required? Not that quantum mechanics is consciousness or generates consciousness. I, I, I know you, you, you don't think so. Most people don't. Um, but is there a way of understanding that can make neuroscience more capable of dealing with consciousness? Yeah, thanks. I'm going to um, answer that and, 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 and put the, the answer in the context of this uh, discussion. Patricia says, look, we're understanding this, we're understanding this, we're understanding that. Bernardo says, uh, uh, yeah, of course we're understanding that. But in order to have a, a general framework in which all that is going to make sense uh, altogether, we need to think, uh, pardon me, Bernardo, if I'm going to uh, uh, oversimplify your position, that everything is mental in, uh, in, uh, in some sense, because uh, intrinsic to the way of science, uh, there is something that does not, cannot uh, 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 account for some aspects of our experience, like the qualitative versus quantitative aspect uh, of it. Our inner life is intrinsically different than what uh, 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 science describes. In this debate, in this difference, I'm on the side of Patricia entirely. So I think that uh, uh, science, uh, uh, to answer your question, Robert, uh, uh, has all the tools for uh, accounting for uh, our subjective experiences. And we see it happening in neuroscience step by step, uh, going in that direction. Having said so, I do understand the point that Bernardo makes. And in fact, I, I, I share a lot of his comments. Uh, and in particular, the fact that uh, um, there seems to be a gap that has to be bridged. And this gap has to be bridged in the sense of recognizing that uh, the stuff of our uh, subjective experience should be like the stuff of uh, uh, sort of tables and mountains and objects uh, out there. Um, and this is where I think quantum mechanics comes in uh, uh, to help, uh, not to help the physics, not to help the science of neuroscience, but to help the philosophy. In the following sense, when Bernardo describes science, I think he's not describing actual science. I think he's describing a philosopher um, oversimplification of a particular moment of science in the 18th century in which the idea of science was very, very little balls pulling and pushing one another. Uh, and it's sort of hard to think that little stones pulling and pushing one another make uh, something like our subjective experience. That's not, that's, that's not what science is. That is much more rich. And the conceptual tools of science are not just numbers and relation between numbers are qualitative. We, uh, we describe qualitative reality with science, not just how many things there are, or, 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 or the, the numbers are tools for describing what is going on. So I agree that the relation between ourselves and the world has to be not a relation of uh, uh, the world is he, that, it, but is a relation like me and you. I am part of the world. I relate to the world as, as a part of it. But if you think a moment, that's exactly what quantum mechanics has done with respect to classical mechanics. The, uh, what quantum mechanics describes is not 
uh, objects in themselves, but the way objects relate to other objects. That's, I think, is the core of quantum mechanics. That's the way I think quantum mechanics is best interpreted. Um, a measurement is just what happened when uh, one system affects another system, and that's what will uh, quantum mechanics describe. If you go to this relational description of physical reality, quantum mechanics is just physics, it's nothing else than physics, then uh, I, as a subject, I as observer, I'm just a complex process among the others which interact and has a qualitative and uh, 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 besides uh, quantitative uh, 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 aspects in its relation with, uh, with the rest. So it seems to me that quantum mechanics open up our mind to a larger way of, of, of doing science within which there's nothing particular strange in us having a uh, dynamic relation with the external world uh, like the one we subjectively experience. Thank you, Carlo. I, I want to be fair because what, we've heard, what we hear here are very sophisticated uh, presentations uh, about consciousness, uh, but there are many explanations because we don't have a panel of 10 people that are not uh, uh, represented here, and I want to be fair to give this a little airtime. So I'm going to just mention four explanatory categories, at least there are this much, that are not represented here. And I want each of you to give whatever reactions you have to each of them, and it needs to be quick. So as noted, uh, Bernardo mentioned panpsychism, the idea that you need some sort of a fundamental aspect of proto-consciousness in everything and every particle in the universe. It's one. Dualism, which was uh, uh, Patricia Bear mentioned, which is, of course, a, a, a historical favor that the mental and the physical are both real and distinct, just long out of favor, of course. Then there's non-reductive physicalism, which has been gaining favor among some. And, of course, Giulio Tononi's integrated information theory. So let, 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 give me some reaction, whatever you think about these four categories. Well, there are three. Quick, what's, quick what's the fourth one? What is the fourth uh, one? Psychism, dualism, non-reductive physicalism, and integrated information theory. Okay. Those, those four. So, uh, Pat, you want to take a shot at those? Oh, well, I'm prepared to believe things if you can show me an experiment or a whole set of experiments that suggests that what you're claiming is true. I mean, part of the problem with all of these things is that they are isms for which there are philosophical arguments, but for which there are no data. Mm. Um, the panpsychists imply, of course, that everything, including electrons and cow pies and feathers, they're all conscious. And, and if you ask panpsychists what the data are, they, uh, they say, in principle, there are no data. This is just a metaphysical position. So when there are no practical consequences, and I don't, for example, with regard to Bernardo's view, I don't see how adopting that kind of idealism has any impact on one's practical life. <laughs> for example, if you walk your dog and your dog evacuates, do you pick it up or do you turn your back and say, well, you know, <laughs> I, I can't see it, so it's not real. Um, if it has no impact on your practical life, if there are no data for it, then you're just another person with an opinion. Okay, and Bernardo. It can be fun, but I don't see that I want to waste my time. <laughs> Bernardo, your reactions. 
Okay, there are enormous implications uh, behind physicalism, idealism, and the other isms that uh, Patricia doesn't want to commit to. One, if idealism is correct and we are the associated processes of a broader field of subjectivity, when you die, your core subjectivity still exists. This is an enormous consequence. If our bodies are the images of our own mental processes, including the processes we cannot reach through introspection, through metacognition, then talk therapy is a much more significant avenue to healthcare. Making sense and integrating your own mental life can have direct physical effects, like the so-called placebo effect, for which we have no account uh, today. So the consequences are enormous. And there are ways to distinguish between these things through experimentation, it's obvious. Uh, until 2012, we thought psychedelics would light up our brain with brain activity. Today, we know they do exactly the opposite. They only reduce brain activity. That's something that is relevant, or Carlo was talking about relational quantum mechanics, to which I agree. But the direct implication is that all physical entities do not have standalone existence. They do not have absolute existence. So that's a premise of physicalism, that physical entities do have absolute existence and then generate mental entities. And relational quantum mechanics contradicts that. And it has been, I would claim, proven by experiment for the last couple of years. Two major experiments, one, one by Proietti et al., and another one about uh, Wigner's uh, friend uh, 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 thought experiment that was done now as an actual experiment, showed that Ravelli was right in that regard. And I would claim this takes the floor from underneath uh, the feet uh, of the physicalists. Okay, Carlo, your reaction to some of those other ideas? Uh, thank you, Bernardo. I wish you were right, but I <laughs> that uh, there are experiments that prove relational quantum mechanics. Uh, I would be very happy, of course, if they were, but I don't think there are. Proietti, uh, no, I don't think it's a it's a confirmation okay. of, of relational quantum mechanics. Um, let me go through the uh, your questions, Robert. Um, uh, Panpsychism. I just don't understand it because I don't understand what it means. Uh, um, in fact. Uh, I, 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 I listen with attention to what Bernardo says, but I don't understand what it means that everything is mental because I don't understand what mental uh, means. I think that mental just means related to the complex phenomenology uh, of uh, things happening in, in, in me or in Bernardo. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's part of, uh, uh, of nature. So uh, the fact that I, I agree that there is no boundary between this and the rest of nature, but there's no boundary between a bicycle and the rest of nature, and this doesn't mean that everything is bicyclist. Uh, bicycle is just one of the things uh, around in nature. Dualism, I don't think there's many people defending dualism uh, uh, today. Integrated information theory, Robert, you put it as, uh, as one of the philosophies. Maybe Tononi or somebody else might take it this way, but I think that's not what they, uh, it's, it's, it's value. It's one specific mathematical attempt to, to uh, capture some aspect of consciousness. So I would see it as a scientific theory, which presents itself as a tentative with limits to be developed. There are aspects of it that, uh, so it's part of the game of developing tools that Patricia is talking about. And with respect to Patricia, I would say, yes, of course, data, but I'm a theoretical physicist. You don't 
do physics only with data. You do physics with data, but then a lot of work, theoretical work to develop good concepts to make sense of this data. So of course we have this data, we bring them together and we get ways of thinking um, about, uh, okay. uh, about we need, reality. We need to go on. Thank you, Carlo. I think to conclude this first part is that consciousness does have a spectrum of radically different explanations. I think we want to leave everyone with that concept that I think we're being presented here with the, perhaps some of the most common ones, but there is, a, there is this spectrum and ultimately I guess only one can be correct. Our, our second theme deals with the hard problem of consciousness uh, directly and as, a, as an arguably unbridgeable gap that in principle separates physical events from mental experiences. And Bernardo, I want to ask you, you're king of this hill. So would there be any data, as, uh, as Pat has uh, been offering, that conceivably that could be discovered or experiments concluded that could falsify your position as an I idealist and convince you that you are wrong and that Pat is right? If we had absolutely no instances of uh, circumstances in which brain activity decreases tremendously while uh, inner experience increases in richness, in intensity, then I, that one way to construe that as uh, indications towards something other than idealism. If we had uh, a reason to believe that all physical entities have absolute standalone existence, then that would also indicate that something along physicalist lines uh, could be true. Uh, as it turns out, neither uh, is the case. As it turns out, there are uh, significant and growing empirical contradictions to physicalism today. And physicalism is reacting through the traditional epicycles, through all kinds of changes and, uh, and additions and tortuous uh, uh, models to try to accommodate uh, uh, the anomalies. And we know how that story goes and we know how it will end. Carlo, um... Some would use quantum mechanics to literally generate consciousness. You said you reject that concept. I'd like to know why. Uh, famously, uh, uh, Roger Penrose and Stu Hameroff with their orchestrated objective reduction think within cells that, that uh, quantum mechanics is needed in order to explain uh, consciousness. Uh, um, Murray Gell-Mann famously used the phrase a quantum flapdoodle. Uh, to dismiss all sorts of uses of quantum mechanics that uh, for, to other topics that he, he thought were, were inappropriate. I don't dismiss this attempt a priori. I don't think they are silly, uh, totally, and, 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 and useless. I think it's good that somebody looks at that. Everything is quantum mechanical, right? The reason an atom stays together is quantum mechanical. The interaction between molecules is quantum mechanics. In a sense, I'm saying quantum mechanics. But I've looked at these specific proposals, uh, Roger Penrose, others, and I, I'm, I'm not convinced uh, that those works, and I don't see the need of, of that. Uh, quantum phenomena disappear as soon as there is a sufficient microscopic number of degrees of freedom heat. Uh, um, so I don't, it, it seems to me that we're gonna make sense of uh, what happened in our mind <clears throat> um, in terms of you know, the complexity of the many things that happen. Uh, we have a tendency when there are different uh, strange things to connect them. Oh, maybe the strange of this is connected to the strange of that. Sometimes it's work, but the, I, I don't see indications that that's the case. I see, if I may add one, one thing, um, a perspectival, uh, let, let me make this simple uh, analogy here. Um, 
what is a sunset? A sunset is the sun going down and disappearing in the, you know, plunging in the ocean or disappearing behind the hill, right? And then somebody comes in and says, no, wait, uh, that's all wrong. Uh, there's a story behind sun. There's a physical story behind the sun. You're sitting on a spinning rock and the sun doesn't move at all. Um, and uh, uh, the sunset is just what happened when you're going, when you're rotating from the lit to the dark part of the, of the rotating stone on which you're sitting. Have we changed the dramatically, substantially what a sunset is? No, we're just given a better understanding of the same thing. We're talking about something. There are different perspectival description of the same phenomena. At a different level of complexity and understanding, there's no contradiction whatsoever between the two. So I think when we understand something, this is what's going on. We have a perspective on something, okay? Think how perspectival this sunset, nothing happened to the sun. Um, and we have a better account of what is going on. I think we're going to get something similar with consciousness, a better account with go go what is going on, which makes sense of our perspectival perception of it without any contradiction between the two. Pat, can AI ever be conscious? Is virtual immortality possible in principle? In other words, our first person awareness uh, and personal identity uploaded into non-biological substrates and, and lasting for a, a, a long period of time? I don't think anybody really knows. Of course, that doesn't prevent lots of people from having very strong opinions. But look, I'm, I'm quite happy to... to acknowledge that neuroscience, for example, is in very, very early stages of its development. And that's partly because neurons are very tiny, they're very easily damaged, and you have to have special tools. And for a long time, we managed with relatively simple tools. And But what's happened that's amazing to me is that within the last 20 to 25 years, wonderful, amazing new tools such as optogenetics have become available to us. And what's great about optogenetics is that you can genetically engineer, for example, a mouse so that very specific cell types in very specific places can be activated with light or they can be turned down with light. So you can get a, a much broader picture of what's going on in the brain. Now, with regard to something like psych psychedelics that Bernardo mentioned, one of the really extraordinary sets of experiments does have to do with dissociation, which I talked about earlier, and came out of Carl Dizeroth's lab. So they used mice, but they also used humans. Now, let me just sort of cut to the chase here, and that was that using these techniques and depth electrodes in humans that had intractable epilepsy, they were able to show that when the mice had, uh, had very tiny doses of ketamine, you could see very specific changes in a certain structure called the retrosplenial cortex. Now, it wasn't that the whole brain declined, and this was also true of psilocybin. It's not that activity went 
down as a whole in the brain. It's that you saw a very different kind of activity. Certain neurons um, were oscillating in synchrony. They were spiking in synchrony, and those neurons connected to the thalamus. Um, but in any case, it's a, it's a complex set of experiments, but the main point I want to make here is that we have learned in the last five years things that we never thought would be even possible to get data on via experiments. So when people say, in principle, do you think we'll ever explain consciousness? You know, I think, in all honesty, what you really have to say is, look, we use the tools we've got, we develop new tools, we do the best we can and see where it goes. And I just wanna make one other quick point that echoes Carlo's point about the hard problem being an exaggeration. Almost every problem about the brain is hard. We do not understand motor control. Not even in simple organisms do we understand motor control and how across wide ranges of muscles you can have such coordination. Now that might imply there should be a deity that's doing all the coordination and you might want to go that way if you were an idealist. But for the rest of us, we think, well, let's keep plugging away at it and see where it goes. This is an incredible well, straw man, Patricia. It's a ridiculous straw man. You're calling me a theist. <laughs> Okay, uh, Robert, I hope you give me a chance to react to some okay. of this because quick, I'm on the receiving quick, end here consistently. Quickly, Bernardo. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean to uh, be rude, we, Bernardo. We tend to wave our hands and say, well, we will solve all the problems and therefore physically we can be that. alive one day. No, I'm not saying that you say that. I'm trying to portray the, the ethos of our culture today. Uh, look at the epicycles. I mean, you refer to one particular psychedelic study. Uh, the most robust finding of psychedelic science today is that all psychedelics study uh, uh, LSD, uh, dimethyltryptamine, uh, um, uh, psilocybin or psilocin, uh, they all significantly reduce brain activity and they don't increase brain activity. This has been confirmed not only by Imperial College London, but by, by in Zurich as well in Switzerland. And the alternative to, to accounting for that experience other than in terms of brain activity. The alternative that's gaining traction today is the so-called entropic brain hypothesis. And the way they try to account for the phenomenology of the psychedelic trance is to say that brain noise levels, noisy activity, activity that doesn't fall onto any re recognizable pattern, increases by 0.001 in a scale of 0 to 100. That is preposterous. It's an epicycle to try, to try to account for the richness and intensity of the psychedelic experience, which is highly structured in terms of a percent increase in brain noise, which contradicts all the other correlations between experience and brain activity, such as dreams, such as watching television. Um, and Carl, in the case of Carlo, uh, he defends the notion that all physical entities are relational like movement. Movement is relational. But of course, for movements to exist, there has to be that which moves. Something needs to move in relation to something else. And these two things cannot be movement for us to speak of movement. But okay. Carlo avoids the implication of his own theory by going into the fallacy of infinite regress, by saying that it's relations all the way down. And this is how the current 
paradigm tries to survive today through a combination of hand-waving, uh, empirical negligence, and, uh, and uh, appeals to fallacies. Thanks, Bernardo. Uh, I have to conclude that explaining consciousness is like arguing politics. How can the other side be so obviously wrong? All right, let's move to our final theme, theme three. Um, and I pose this, that identity theory is the notion that something just is consciousness, uh, like the way the morning star and the evening star are both Venus. So I want to ask each of you quickly, is identity theory required to explain consciousness? In other words, does something have to literally be consciousness, or will consciousness be proven to be derivative, or will it remain a fundamental mystery? Quick answers to each. Uh, Carla? Well, I don't understand identity theory because uh, it, it reifies consciousness. Uh, it's like uh, in my previous uh, um, example, okay. is, the, is, is the sunset uh, a sun, the same as what is in, uh, in, in Copernican theory? Well, it's, it's, yes, in some sense, no, in some other sense. So it's different experience, but it's the same phenomenon. Okay, Pat? Well, I'm really excited to see how the science goes. Bernardo? Consciousness is the involuntary wiggling of my left big toe. There you are, identity theory. <laughs> okay, um, look, I think consciousness is, is still a mystery. Um, and um, I think we should uh, try to look for those nodal questions. Uh, Pat is looking for specific data um, that, will, that, will that will confirm um, a, a neuroscientific basis for it. Um, what, 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 Pat, could that possibly be? In other words, we say pain is when C fibers fi fire. Uh, identity well, theory would say that's the same thing. Is that what you're saying? No, look, when I was um, a child growing up on the farm, I had a biology teacher who said that livingness itself could never be explained in terms of dead molecules. He was a vitalist, in other words. And he said, this is such a great mystery. Now, now nobody's a vitalist anymore. Now, why is that? Well, it's not because there was a single answer to life is just this thingy. What it turned out that the discovery of the structure of DNA and mRNA and ribosomes and um, um, uh, the, the nature of the, uh, the cell membrane and the nature of enzymes and how proteins get made and so forth. All of this contributes to what we think of as life. Now, my ignorance and the, the state of neuroscience is such that we can't possibly say, well, it's going to turn out that consciousness is a, a poodle loaf of the Ramatrap. I mean, You'd have to be an idiot to say that at this point. So we'll wait but, but, and we'll see how the but, science but, goes. But I know that's not very exciting. And people say, oh, you're boring. You're just a scientist. Get yourself an ism and be a proper philosopher. <laughs> I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> well, but, but you're saying that, it, that consciousness then would be the product of multiple kinds of neural activities. Almost certainly it's multifactorial, but we don't know. 
There is nobody who can answer that question truthfully with data and, and generalized theories at this point, because there's so little we understand about the brain. So, so you know, sometimes you have to live with ignorance. You have to say you don't know. I know it's not sexy in the way that Chalmers and his hard problem are sexy and cool. But sometimes, you know, you got to be practical. You got to really tell it the way it is. And we don't know. Bernardo, how long do we have to wait till uh, Pat gets all the neuroscience she wants to explain consciousness? <laughs> with these multiple, these multiple uh, sources. It's turning out that uh, uh, Patricia is saying that she's not a physicalist and that she doesn't endorse any ism. So, okay. Um, I don't think that it is useless. Uh, on the contrary, it's not useless to look at the brain to have a better understanding of consciousness. I mean, 10 years ago, anybody with, who had a psychedelic trip would think my brain lit up like a Christmas tree. So now we know that that's not the case. Uh, also, I agree that introspection uh, is uh, largely unreliable. But even in that regard, I think it's useful. But anyway, um, what, what I'm putting forward is not to you know, put the car ahead of the horses and try to arrive at conclusions too early, but there are certain logical mistakes, some internal contradictions in our way, physicalist way of thinking about consciousness that we can step back, look at with uh, uh, honesty, intellectual honesty, and realize that they are just internally contradictory. These are inconsistencies, and we can revise them. There is no need to wait for the next uh, uh, generation of brain scanner for us to understand that some of the assumptions we make are nothing but assumption, and some of our lines of thinking are incoherent and internally contradictory, and I think that's worthwhile doing. Uh, Carlo, what's your, uh, your thought about uh, saying regarding the uh, capabilities of, of neuroscience to gather things together from a scientific uh, point of view? Is there any, um, any uh, relationship ideas that the progress that physics has made uh, with, uh, particularly with quantum physics and that literal quantum, quantum jump and understanding, will something like that, do you think, be required uh, in neuroscience, some quantum leap where you totally have a different way of looking at the physical system, still physicalism, but in a radically different way. That, that's, I think, a fundamental question that neuroscientists need to consider. No, I don't think so. I think that the petition analogy with uh, uh, understanding life, it's, it's very, very good. Um, uh, 10 years, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, many people were under the impression that in order to understand life, something absolutely, uh, some, some quantum leap was needed uh, because life is radically different. It's obviously radically different than non-life. There is a gap between the two, so you need a, an elan vital, a force, a vitalist force to explain it. And nobody thinks about that, not because we have understood what is life, because life is just a complex phenomenon, which a lot of things is, is, is happening, a lot of thermodynamics, a lot of biochemistry, a lot of complexity, a lot of interrelations between things. So with a better understanding, it just lost all its, uh, not its interest, it's super interesting, and of course, there are many things we don't understand yet, but we see how it's just a part of the natural world, uh, which we can account. Uh, it is a general way of understanding things which science has. This is not a 
science being too pretentious to explain everything. It's the other way around. I think it's those who say, look, it's impossible that science could explain that, that pretend to have a, uh, a, 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 a certainty about rational thinking that shows that something is impossible. Uh, the extraordinary, extraordinary amount of uh, knowledge we have uh, 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 gathered uh, should just make us humble and say, what, let's see what we can uh, understand more. Two more points very, very rapidly. I am fascinated by the renaissance of psychedelic uh, uh, studies. Uh, I love psychedelics and, uh, uh, and I think, and uh, it's my understanding, I've been trying to read, go, uh, follow conferences, uh, is not at all what Bernardo says, uh, that uh, I'm, I'm not an expert in that field, but it's not at all that uh, there is any consensus that uh, what psychedelics do, uh, it's uh, uh, diminished brain activity. In fact, I see opposite data. And you mentioned integrated information theory, uh, which is sort of a, an attempt to uh, a make a catalog of levels of consciousness. Uh, if you use information, um, integrated information theory, uh, psychedelic experience, uh, it's a higher form of consciousness in terms of that theory, like, you know, the hippies were saying in the, in, in the 70s. And last point, um, Bernardo, I think I heard him saying that if uh, idealism in the way he defends it's true, one is uh, led to think that uh, uh, this life after death. Well, I wish it was true. In fact, I, I wish it was not true. I don't want life as the dead, but I, I don't think absolutely anything in our experience or uh, scientific or non-scientific uh, knowledge that give us any uh, indication of this horrible idea that they will still be alive after I'm dead. I don't want to be alive after I'm dead. I want to be dead after I'm dead. <laughs> I can, I okay, can provide, well, uh, me too, by the way. argue with you, Bernardo? I can provide links to all this uh, psychedelic research data that shows exactly what I said. What I said is not polemical. All research indicates that there are massive reductions of brain activity, particularly in the default mode network. So this is a fact. It's not open to interpretation. What is open to yeah. interpretation is, is that what accounts for the experience phenomenologically? That's open to interpretation. The experiment, experimental results are facts. Uh, thank you very much, each of you, Bernardo, Carlo, Pat, this time alphabetically by first names. Thank you for participating. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit our website, ii.tv, for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.